wanderers from the ordinary world of higher education hear the call to adventure. Taking their microphones in hand, they cross the threshold into the special world of the podcast. There, they will endure the labyrinth of meandering conversation, meet the mentors of comparative mythology, and seize the thrice-edged blade of narrative in learning design. But first, they must confront the ordeal of... And welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. Today we're going to be answering the bloody stupid question, why is a Mickey Mouse degree actually the best kind of degree you could experience? So I'm uh, I'm Mike Collins, I am a learning designer, a guy with a microphone, and imposter syndrome incarnate, and joining me today in answering that bloody stupid question, we have... I'm Mark and I'm a learning designer at Durham University. Is it learning or senior learning designer? Well, I didn't want to push the senior bit because then it just makes me sound like I'm... Do you want me to say senior? I do. <laughs> I, want, I want you to lord it over your own. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hello, and I'm Mark, and I'm a senior learning designer at the at the Open University. <laughs> wrong university. Oh, wrong university. Oh, okay. You've been expunged from this one. Okay. And I'm Mark, and I'm a senior learning designer from Durham. Oh, from Durham. From Durham. I thought you were, <laughs> thought you were from. Durham. I'm a from senior. The I'm I'm Mark, and I'm a senior learning designer from Durham University. Why can't I say Durham University? This is ridiculous. I'm out of practice. We've done I've done these for something. Okay, let me start again. And I'm Mark, and I'm a senior learning designer from Durham University. Snappy tagline. <laughs> Oh, snappy tagline. Oh, I mean, I go with a PhD. Yes. <laughs> this is really putting Chris at ease because it's just demonstrating how badly you do it and still get away with it. <laughs> or how good we are editing. Yeah. It sounded so much better when I listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, they sound really good, like they know what they're talking about. It's like, yeah, that's after an hour. That's after several hours of editing it, so it makes some sort of sense. <laughs> I'm Chris Cox, and I'm a learning designer at the Open University, but soon to be at Cranfield University. And your snappy tagline? Um, I'm an illustrator, I've written a children's book, and I really like narrative stuff and space Lego and robots. Whee. Whee. I didn't know you'd written a children's book. Wow. Oh. Wow. I have a signed copy for my nephew. It's really good. Oh, really? Oh, okay. We'll have to put um, a link in the show notes. Oh, yeah, Please do. I've still got some. <laughs> <laughs> Available from all good retailers, as long as those retailers are Chris. Yes, that's right. So how are we going to answer our bloody stupid question, why is a Mickey Mouse degree actually the best kind of degree you could experience? So uh, we're going to take our usual format and we're going to tweak it ever so slightly. So in part one, we're just going to unpack our understanding of story structure. Where did that come from? Aha, all shall be revealed. Um, and also we're going to talk about Mickey Mouse or Disney and Disney and stories and possibly The Lion King. And then in part two, we're going to look at those in context of a learning experience and maybe see if there's some stories that fit the formula. And then after that, we're going to actually apply it to a student journey and see how you can use it as a tool to help shape the student's journey and help your students. And then if at the end we haven't gotten bored and fallen asleep, we might see if we can give you some good old headline principles that you can have tattooed on parts of your body. Are we ready, gents? I am, as I'll ever yes. be. Act one, in which our band of merry adventurers strike out into the lands of narrative in search of an answer for their question. They hunt for principles, but little do they know that the power of the thrice-edged blade is further away than they think. Why is a Mickey Mouse degree the best kind of degree you can experience? In there we've got um, Mickey Mouse, we've got story, and we've got degrees. So why are we talking about narrative and storytelling and structure? Well, it's all to do with learning and structuring learning and thinking about learning, but you're going to have to bear with us first while we talk about what we understand them to be. First of all, I guess, yes, yeah, story structure, three-act structure, hero's journey. Uh, who wants to, to dive in here? I, I, know, I don't know much about story structure itself, but um, I could talk a bit about the hero's journey and then uh, Chris can pick up where I've got it wrong, if you like. So the hero's journey is something that Joseph Campbell came across he was looking he was doing a phd i think in comparative mythologies and he, he spotted that the same 
elements were coming out in every culture that he looked at. And he ended up writing a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. But he got largely ignored, I think, until George Lucas, who was a big fan, started talking about it around the publicity around Star Wars. And then suddenly um, Joseph Campbell became a celebrity, like in his 80s or something, and he started hanging out with the Grateful Dead and going on world tours and all this sort of stuff in like the last 10 years of his life. And it's great watching the two of them together because he'd never watched a film in like 40 years or something and um, became a big Star Wars fan. And that's how I came across it was the the Smithsonian did an exhibition that went on tour uh, about the whole heroics journey and things. And it's the steps that we're all familiar with, really. It's, you know, first of all, uh, you remember the scenes like uh, Luke's given a, a, a lightsaber and that's like a magical object, a talisman, and he meets a mentor. And all of these steps go through in every, nearly every myth or most of the myths that we see. They're also just divided into three stages in that there's this world that they're used to and they gradually get called to adventure. They cross a threshold into this underworld usually or different world and then they meet all these challenges and then they come back out at the end, come back home like in Lord of the Rings, they return to the Shire but then there's things still to be resolved and in order for them to maybe return back to their normal life or maybe not. And that's the sort of heroic journey in its simplest form. And the other thing as well is that a lot of writers, um, I don't know if I'm stepping on Chris's toes here now, but Chris Vogler was a guy at um, who got into this, saw about the heroic journey, had all read about Star Wars, and then wrote a memo matching this three-step story of the heroic journey to the three-act structure that writers use in creating things that has been around for thousands of years as well, and then said to Disney, well, hang on, if we use these steps, and this is the ideal way to tell a story, and then that's when, I think this was like the early 90s or something, they started adopting that kind of heroic journey structure for a lot of their movies. Is that, is that, how did I do, Chris? Was that a pretty much it? Yeah, so Chris, do you want to weigh in on narrative? Um, yes. Um, so I've been really interested in narrative for a long time, and it's one of those things that it appears in everything that we communicate about. So I went to uni, I studied animation, and that you initially go there because you're drawing 24 frames a second and you love drawing um, and you want to make things move and you want to make films. But then what became really apparent was the story structure being so important and it sort of shifted my attention a bit over time. And that's where I learned about Joseph Campbell a bit more. And then when you start noticing, okay, story story structure in films, you start to see it is a key point where that you just know the protagonist will hit rock bottom and you can sort of just go, yep, that's when that happens, tick, and move on. But then there's been lots of talking about storytelling in other media, even you know, social media, there's storytelling in your own mind, sort of you know, setting the scene for your own existence and what you're doing and why it's important, as if you're part of a, your own TV show even. And it's just absolutely saturated everywhere in presentations, everything. So when I was in learning design, I was thinking, hang on, but we might use case studies and we might use snippets of stories and we might use short clips. But I don't see anywhere where we're really drilling into the story structure of beginning, middle and end and sort of seeing students as heroes of their own journey and then tailoring the content to that. Yeah, so that's... That's where it's really interesting for me. It's not I went away and researched something. I thought that's a good theory. I'll discuss it. It's like, well, this works in reality, in normal life, and it works in other spheres. So why on earth wouldn't it work with designing courses and teaching experiences? Well, so it's not you're not saying necessarily that there is a specific rules about story structure. Like I've seen the there's the oh, what's that cat one where you actually say, well, this is the pin, this is the pinch point. Oh, oh it's um, save the cat. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. So, I mean, that's also really good if you're looking at coming up with a story. Is like, well, what should be at this stage? But then they can become really formulaic. I don't know if anybody wants to quickly whiz through what we understand to be kind of the major steps um, in your basic hero's journey or basic three-act structure. Okay, well, like I said, there's um, Joseph Campbell identified three different stages, and then Chris Vogler took those and then adapted them to the three-act structure every writer learnt about when they're trying to learn to write these things. He also added one to the start, which I think is really interesting as well. These are them according to Chris Vogler, 
who wrote uh, The Writer's Journey rather than the original Campbell thing. But anyway, the start is the hero in the ordinary world. And we're using hero here as a as a non-gender thing. It's heroine as well or whatever. So, so the ordinary world. So they've got them in their setting before anything happens. And that's basically to set the scene. But you know that this is where this person comes from. And then you get the call to adventure. So something goes wrong. Frodo gets a ring and he has to take it to the elves. And then at that point, the hero then says, oh, I don't want to do this. I've got, I can't do that. You know, I've got a party on or I've got to look after the moisture farm or whatever. And there's also the meeting with the mentor, Gandalf, or it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, or it's something like that. Also thrown in at this stage often is a, a magical talisman, or there's also mystical insight. Luke starts to learn the ways of the Force, and he gets his father's um, lightsaber. And then you get to the end of that, which Campbell called initiation, which is called crossing the first threshold, and that is the first bit of stuff that goes really weird. So you're in the Prancing Pony, and everyone's a bit freaky there, or you're going to the Moss Eisley Cantina, and suddenly you just stepped out of your regular world into something that's a bit unfamiliar or very unfamiliar. And then at that stage also you uh, you start to meet allies, so it's like Han and Chewie or whatever. And then there's other stages like Approach the Innermost Cave, The Ordeal, The Reward, uh, and those are the sorts of things that happen in this sort of underworld stage. And then you get to the final bit, which is the road back to the regular world, because succeeding isn't enough. You've got to take whatever it is that you've learned and bring that back into your ordinary life. And then there's a point at which the, the hero is resurrected, sort of returned to the world of the living. Then the final stage is whatever it is that they've learned in this weird world out there comes back and somehow fixes something that's broken in their normal life and then maybe then they can return back to their normal life or maybe they're transformed too much to do that as well but i mean in uh, the lord of the rings they get back to the shire and i'm not sure if this is in the film or not i don't think it is but in the books they come back to the shire and saruman has taken over the shire but because they've got all this knowledge, they've got all this power, they've got their, their shiny swords and whatever, and they've got this confidence that they can go and beat Saruman. And so that's the elixir they've got isn't anything other than their own empowerment, but that's also something the hero brings back. Was that in the last Lord of the Rings? I want to say that was in the last Lord of the Rings. No, I think they just end up back in the in they just end up back there, don't they? They just end up back in the Shire. And the only thing really that they accomplish when they get back to the Shire is that uh, Sam has the uh, has the confidence to ask Rosie out, and that's it. Is that all that happens? I remember the end of that film being days long. There's six endings, basically. There's the thing about wounds, that you receive a wound that can never be healed. And so, and of course, Frodo's got three of them, wounded by tooth, claw, and blade or whatever. And so he can't rest, so then he gets to go to the uttermost west with, um, with the last of the elves that are escaping Middle-earth. So yeah, one of the big kind of users, shovelers, producers of, of stories that adhere very, very, very closely to the throughout structure are Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned earlier, oh, who was it, Chris? Who was it? Chris Fogler. Mark? Chris Fogler. Chris Fogler. And the memo, the memo. Uh, ah, yeah. right. That explains yeah, right. why the Disney films got better in the 90s, because before they were good, but the story meandered because it was the animators creating a story a lot of the time. So they kind of just sort of meandered into their time and you sort of thought, where's the pace? Um, so that's really interesting. They got a lot tighter in the 90s. Yeah, and you can, you can apply it to just all of them. So, I mean, The Lion King is always the one that jumps to my head. Mm. I've, got, I've got the memo here in front of me. Oh, okay. So you can, you can just, like, so if we go to The Lion King, the hero is introduced to his or her ordinary world, start of The Lion King, nice and easy, shown around, can't wait to be king, call to adventure, he can't wait to be king, he goes on a little, he goes on a little adventure, so he does, with, the, uh, with his pal. Uh, into the elephant graveyard, um, but oh, bit of a coward. All goes a bit wrong. Refuses the call. Mm-hmm. Gets encouragement by the wise old dad. Meeting with a mentor. Gets encouraged by his old pops. Like, oh, this will all be yours one day, pal. Old son, magic. Then passes the first threshold. The horribleness happens, and daddy dies, and he offski scoots, uh, runs away from his safe little kingdom. Uh, encounters his tests and helpers. So, yep, that, and he's meeting uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, reaches the innermost cave is I think actually happens in a cave um, in the Lion King. It's during the um, the musical number where him and Nala be getting it freaky, and I think it's also the bit where he's he sees his dad in the sky, Simba, and they uh, <laughs> they get they get all that on. It's James Earl uh, Jones, isn't it? Playing his father, is it? Yeah, James Earl Jones. Yeah. I didn't realise that he was Darth Vader and um, Simba's dad for years. 
uh, endures the supreme ordeal. So that's this is the bit where he's kind of having to pull himself out of his wastrel life of being a teenage lion and get his ass back into king mode. And then, yeah, thunder starts thundering back, beats up Scar, so he seizes the sword, beats up Scar, picks up the mantle of being the king again, takes responsibility for his stuff. And then, now I think about it, actually, I've probably jumped ahead a few steps, haven't I? Well, these things are sometimes going cycles as well. It's just because you've, you've kind of approached the innermost cave, you've had an ordeal, you've seized the sword. There might be another innermost cave and then another ordeal. And the, the main well, thing... There's a refusal of the call later as well, because he mm. doesn't want to be king. He doesn't want to face up. He doesn't want to go back. He knows he's got to go back to Pride Rock to fight Scar, but he doesn't want to because he feels mm. guilty for his dad's death because he still believes that's him. So there's that sort of moment where it's like, am I going to do this? And then it's that revelatory moment where it's like, son, you've got to do this. And he goes. That's it. That's the ordeal, isn't it? That whole bit is the ordeal. And yes, then it's facing the sword. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And seizes the sword, returns to Pride Rock, rode back. It's that whole number of him going back and all his allies and pals are getting with him. And then the resurrection is where he comes back as king and has his epic final battle uh, with Scar, boots him off into his hyena chums. Uh, and then, yeah, returns. And by sheer dint of his kingliness, of his divine privilege, he uh, returns water to the Pride Lands. The rain comes because... Uh, he because he controls Willow. And, that, <laughs> and that's returning with the elixir. Yeah. 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 The road yeah. back as well, Campbell was saying, sometimes there's a refusal of the road back because you cannot somehow feel that you can return or maybe you're too engrossed in that underworld thing. I mean, none of these myths have all of those steps necessarily. It's just that they're repeated time and time again. And I think if you're writing stuff, it's not necessarily that you'd need... I mean, this is perhaps where Disney go wrong, is you don't necessarily have to fit in every step. But what you could do is look at a, a script that you first draft and go, you know what, this needs a bit of zhuzhing up. This needs a bit more emphasis here. What's missing? And then that's really useful to go to the hero's journey thing going, oh, you know what, I haven't got refusal of the call. And when he takes on that journey, it might have more emotional impact if he's decided originally he doesn't want to do it. Or, you know, I need to make more of the heroes and allies because he's not got any mates to help him along the way. And, you know, like Neil Gaiman said, he started to read the hero's journey and then decided he didn't want to finish it off because then he would feel trapped with this particular uh, formula to, to make all of it, to write all of his stories. Instead, you absorb what the general principles are and then write them. That's, yes, that's coming back to art design principles um which i'd obviously come back to a lot but um you know once you know perspective then you can go and be picasso and break perspective you know once you know the rules then you can break them but you can only break mm. them once you know them well enough so that's where okay i don't need a call you might decide you know what this he need this character reads a really good setup maybe in a story there is a it isn't straight into the inciting incident maybe you just spend a lot more time with the character and the sub characters to get to know them before the call to adventure starts maybe there's a long refusal of the call but you know the character just really does not want to get on with the adventure to the point where people are going come on get on with it <laughs> and then and but then you're using the rules for your own benefit instead of being oblivious to them so that's where this comes in whereas if you're going it's minute 12 you need mm -hmm. to cross a threshold of some kind, so I'll plonk one in. Then you're thinking, this is that's just the wrong way of doing it. I think an important thing to know about, well, just consider with these rules as well, is that they are, in some respects, kind of hardwired in yes. to us as people. I mean, this is one of the things with the Hero of a Thousand Faces. It's like the oldest stories have this very, you know, they, they all exhibit traits of this story structure. And there's no denying that a lot of the stories that we tell uh, and, you know, we see, and, you know, Disney have made a gazillion dollar empire from it, follow in some way, shape or form this structure, this format. Yeah. Not that there's, there's a lot of fun to be had. And I love movies and books and things um, that throw you when your expectations are subverted, where, like, as you say, you've got the lead in for forever or, you know, the movie or book just stops the road back and you go there's clue the movie clue um based on cluedo um and it has six different endings i think it's got multiple <laughs> endings of who did it and it's played for laughs it's just brilliant so that's just yeah. so wonderful and that's that's the thing though it's because you'll know you know if a story ever leaves you just going like but what happens next has it has it left a, a big gap has it left a step out of the end or has it uh or if a film just you watch it and you go this doesn't make sense well the character hasn't done anything Mm. if they haven't passed any tests if the tests aren't aligned with their goals and if it's mm. not um i've read robert mckee's story book about script screenwriting 
And that's like a whole other thing. But basically, three-act structure, inciting incident, escalating difficulty, get a character to the end. Um, but his his thing is, um, he's got many things that he says. <laughs> um, Isn't there something about, sorry, I just, just this, doesn't he say something about three different climaxes? There's the action climax, the emotional yes. climax, and the moral, I can't remember what they all are, but there's something like, and you can see those happening as well. It's like, here's the point at which the the, the hero has this resolution, a moral breakthrough or a, a, yes. a courageous breakthrough, and then they have the something other breakthrough. The, it's and then the internal life, yeah, internal life meets external life kind mm. of thing. So they realize they've got to change in some way. And the way, like, initially a seed's planted in the story that, there might be a situation here it gets it badly wrong. You know, it's always the action movie with a tragic past. You know, he let the building full of civilians die. He made Demolition Man. Oh, I just, yes, I saw that the other week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite movies. But then also the Saving the Cat stuff, there's a sequence about halfway through, a plot point just called Fun and Games, which is, let's not bother about the plot, let's just mess around for a while. <laughs> That's amazing, I've never thought of that, but it's like, Oh, yeah, that happens in some movies. It's just a, a, a break from everything. Um, it's, it's all, and any superhero movie has that. It's um, Any superhero origins movie has um, generally end of act one, the fun and games bit where the hero's got their powers. Uh, Iron Man's got his suit. Spider-Man's got his suit and his webby watsits. Uh, and they're yeah. finally leaning into it and having a bit of fun with it. It's the bit where Iron Man's flying around the world, being having fun being a hero. Uh, it's the bit in... Doctor Strange when he's um, in the temple doing actual like Shaolin-y stuff. That whole like any like any any montage sequence with powers is almost inevitably um, fun and games. Uh, Miyazaki with quiet moments. Miyazaki films. I don't know if you've read Sapiens. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari. He essentially argues that storytelling and our a desire to tell stories and b receptivity to them is essentially a survival trait. We are a species. You know, a lot of other species get up and. Uh, are born essentially knowing what they need to do. You know, you look at a giraffe comes out and giraffes on his little wob- wobbly weird legs in about five minutes flat and then trotting away. Whereas we as a species come out with our brains still very much forming. And one of the ways that we transmit information generationally is through stories. So the oldest stories and myths and legends were ways of transmitting um, knowledge, ways of ways of teaching people about, you know, culture, how the world came to be, why you must not eat blueberry. Uh, blueberry make ug ug go poop poop, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then, you know, that's that's um, obviously evolved since then to become, you know, a, a tool of religion. I'd, I'd say it's become a political tool. It's become how we teach as well. So it's it's kind of it's hardwired in. If you look at the creation myths of the ancient Near East and Roman and Greek. The stories they told influenced the entire society, and it was stories controlled by the emperor or king or whichever ruler it was. Um, So the ancient Near East, they had their creation myths as humanity being the end result of a war between gods or something like that. And humanity was either rubbish as a result of it, (laughs) sort of cast away, um, or they were slaves. So that affected everyone's opinion in that society. So whoever was in charge would say, I'm a god, you're not, so I can do what I want, and you can't. And that was the way the world worked. So in the middle of that, you have like the Christian creation story, which has people made in the image of God, inherently valuable and worthy of respect. And that was just revolutionary at the time. And then that was entirely counter-cultural to what the Romans and the Greeks did. So um, I just find that fascinating. Yeah, stories change how people think and how they live their lives. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, so before we move on to talking about how you can actually apply this to your own student journey, your own teaching, anybody got anything else they want to add? One thing that's appealing to me about stories is that the clever storytellers, um, they're never on the nose about what their, their message is. So all stories um, would have a driving principle behind it. That's the purpose or the or what the story, the sort of idea that the story's trying out and the point of view of the writer. And throughout, you've got sort of the forces in opposition to that worldview or idea and the forces for it. And then it's sort of like a, a sort of contest to see which one wins. One of the powerful things about stories is they're very rarely sort of giving it like in an educational fashion to you. They're not saying, believe this or do this, you just absorb it. So it's like um, the, the sort of uh, effective conversation where you're just sort of like eavesdropping in on two other people. 
um, Ooh, can like be more that. powerful. That's Kierkegaard. Um, that, that can be more powerful than actually just directly telling someone something. So what what actually happens is a film like Enemy of the State is all about the surveillance state, which is like pretty important right now. But and it's a cracker of an action movie, um, and it's big and bold and quite dumb in many ways, and it has Jack Black in it <laughs> as an as a CIA analyst or something. I need to watch this and film. It sounds amazing. It's, it's bonkers, but at the very end, there's just like a TV clip where everything's been resolved. Like there's Will Smith has been on the run. The NSA are after him. They're trying to get whatever they think he's got. They're using all the surveillance means that they can throw at him. Um, and in the end, there's this bit where he's just sitting at home with his family and everything's solved and his name has been cleared. Um, and he's watching a TV show and as it filters out, you know, the very final line of the entire film is, you have no right to enter the sanctity of my home. And it's just one of those almost throwaway you sort of forget about it, but you've it's at the same time logged in there, but no character is like yelling it at the screen and no one's articulated it up until you've seen the entire story and see the effects of it. So that's that's where I think it's important. It's sort of like what I'd like to see in education is more of a an emphasis on okay, we've covered the main things, but what about the main point that we're showing, not telling? And can we do that? And can we get students to taste an idea to see if it works for them and then when it does or doesn't they reflect on it and and then they've learned more that way they've changed as people that's yeah i think that's what i wanted to say (laughs) (laughs) i think that thank you i've I've written half of it down (laughs) okay so um i think we've covered storytelling narrative three-act structure there's an enormous amount of ground to cover there Uh, and i think we've done a pretty game job as much as you can within a podcast listener's attention span so let's look at answering the question and practical tips for your own teaching act two in which our merry adventurers battered and bruised after about an hour's recording at this point and in desperate need of a cup of tea and a biscuit try to answer the question and at the same time explore how it can be applied to teaching but what's this a whisper on the wind says that the price-edged blade will soon make an appearance and change how they think about narrative in time. In education, at least. Chris, you've given this an enormous amount of thought recently. <laughs> Ooh, um, this is where I'm put on the spot. Um, so if you could map out a structure of what a course would be and you're trying to work out whether, you know, if you knew it was a course that wasn't successful or engaging the students enough, but to look at it through a narrative sort of approach and lay out the three-act structure on each of the, like, say the entire timeline. You've got chap, you know, units, weeks, one to 30. You've got your assessment points, and then you lay out the three-act structure on top of that. What's quite nice is that there's a point a few weeks in where students can't get their deposit back, and they have to make a decision. <laughs> and they have to take, make a decision to take on that first assessment that first test and that's just perfect that's like their entire first act in a nutshell so what can we do to sort of first of all the the usual three act kind of structure is as the inciting incident they've signed up to this module there's a call to adventure they've gone okay yeah yeah i can learn this i can be the best accountant in the world i'll take this course or whatever it is Um, god i would love to see that kids tv series (laughs) yeah i'm gonna be the very best accountant whoa come (laughs) calculmon or something (laughs) sorry chris carry on (laughs) oh man that's great um just having epic spreadsheet battles with other kids in the street (laughs) wouldn't that be funny if kids be able to take accountancy cards and trade them like pokemon in school oh my god do we do we need to stop this podcast and immediately trade like kickstart this idea (laughs) I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe the call to advent, maybe if you know, mod, like you're looking at a piece of course material that's being roughed out, and you can see with all the elements of the story, hero's journey and story structure, you can go, well, the call to adventure, can we improve on that? Can we get them going? Why they should do this? And why should they persevere? Why can't, can we really sell them on what they're studying and how important it is for them so that we can? help them not refuse the call and back out yeah so um, we're kind of casting in this example we're kind of we're casting the student in the, the role of the hero as well they're the hero of their yes. own study story so applying it to the lion king if the lion king were a badly designed course on he would on accountancy simba would never get beyond the call to adventure because 
he might just do the course or he might just go, you know what, I've got a comfortable life here, nothing's happened. Yeah, why should I bother? Whereas if you add something as to why it's important, there's some motivation and couldn't your life be so much better if you did this, then that helps nudge him towards less of a lazy option and to go on with a course. Does that make sense? That's what I'm yes. thinking. Yeah. And then to sort of have the mentors be coming in and like tutors and other, other student support, to, you know, how can that be amplified and really made strong and firm in that first block of, say, 10 weeks or so to go, right, here's what you need to get through this big first threshold test. And that's really interesting, actually, that the mentor comes in before that test, like the story structure is you've had that big patch of like key, that, that key interaction with the mentor, that transformative interaction with the mentor before you have the first big test. Yes, just seeding the mystery or saying, you know, you should, you should know about your father. He was a brave knight, you know, and he's a Jedi. And that's just enough to make Luke be going, well, should I, shouldn't I? Oh, no, no, I've got to stay and look after these things and drink milk, blue milk. Um, yeah, I, I've been served blue milk by Beru. Sorry. This is a role This is a drugs thing, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you want drugs? <laughs> So Act One's kind of sewn up. So we've got, let's see, um, call to adventure. You've got them. They've got the opportunity to refuse the call. I suppose the students who do refuse the call, we may never hear from again. Um, hopefully our marketing people are really strong at that. <laughs> you then get the encouragement from the wise old man or woman. I'm meeting with the mentor. Then you've got passing the first threshold. So this is um, them kind of getting past their fee liability point and really kind of digging in. This is the furthest I've ever been, Mr. Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> I take one more step and I'll be <laughs> further away from my home than I've ever been before. So yes, when they've answered the call to venture, they cross the first threshold and then there's like escalating difficulties with the tests, allies and enemies. So yes, they'll probably meet, you know, you could help them to have more allies by getting them together and communicating with other students more. So hopefully they'll already have some allies to start with, but this is where extra help like Han and Chewie come in you know, who have other skills that they might need. So um, I think, Mark, you've put about the library, which is, you know, yeah, the library. There's other people with resources. There's the friendly barkeep who might help them out. Not in, I'm not Your sure, fellow I'm students. Not sure in reality, but um, yeah, there might be a barkeep or, who knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> or if you're Starfleet Academy, the gardener. The gardener? Don't you remember the gardener at Starfleet Academy in Star Trek, The Next Generation? No. Bilby or whatever his name, Bixby or... But this is what they used to do, is they used to get really confused and then go and talk to the gardener in the grounds uh, and then he would actually tell them how to meet their challenges. But that's an interesting point because it's not specifically about... It's them, yes, going to find help but from an unlikely source, but it might not be how do I fix this... How do I answer this particular question? It might be around. So I've got, you know, how do I handle their... It might, it might be wider questions. Yeah, it might be pressure. It might be other students in a group it might be you know i just don't feel i still don't feel able to write an essay properly it might be something like that that they might not be able to tell a tutor finding the people who can help you through that and it might be people connected to your course your module it might be family friends boothby was the name of the gardener on star trek the next generation this isn't ringing a bell not a sausage okay <laughs> anyway sorry distracted you again yeah so allies could be all sorts of different allies. Um, enemies could be, it could be to do with time, it could be to do with life stresses, it, it could be anything. So what specifically are we doing at regular points to build in that extra support they might need, not just getting them to the next chapter? Okay, so um, the next steps, so we've got uh, encounters, tests and helpers, and then reaching the innermost cave. This is the, this is the equivalent, apparently, of Theseus going to the labyrinth to face the Minotaur. Well, sometimes it's where they face their own fears where the main character in a story faces their own fear or the major sort of problem that they have or attitude that they have with the world that needs to change so it might be addressing some sort of some sort of point where they're reflecting on how they've done so far and if there's any niggling doubts that they can do this this is the point where we really try and encourage them to so it might be like a formative assessment for example Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Opportunity so. for like a nice, safe kind of reflection with your tutor, and you put something in that's maybe not contributing to the final mark, but is deep on the old reflection and uh, and and self questioning. Possibly, yeah, but like really get into grips with. I guess I guess you've got to be 
honest with yourself as to how you're doing with these things in order to succeed. So helping them get to the point where they are going to be honest about their own uh, progress or their ability to learn so far or how much, you know, they've put in. Yeah, I think that, that makes total sense. So it's kind of, it's getting them to do the introspective work they need in order to be able to kind of... Take get, on the final bit. Take, take on the final challenge. It's, it's acknowledging that the person who goes in isn't necessarily the person that's going to go out. So next up would be the supreme ordeal, the hero enduring the supreme ordeal. Uh, well, for me, that would have to be the, the massive assessment at the end. <laughs> or anything involving an essay. But then this is, this is usually the bit where... You know, there's that, there's that point where the hero is sort of moping or has gone, all hope is lost, I can't possibly do this. So it's a little bit unclear as to what that actually is, but I guess the EMA is going to bring that up. You're going to have that extreme of, oh, I'm doing quite well, I've made good progress today. And maybe it's a teaching point about acknowledging when students get to that point and going, yep, yeah, you're probably feeling that you're doing well, the well today. Keep going, because tomorrow you might not. <laughs> <laughs> and then tomorrow, when you're not, you say, yep, we said this would happen, and it's perfectly normal. There's nothing to worry about. Keep going. You know what I mean? Um, there's mm. that. They're all, if there's, usually it's that point where uh, all hope seems lost, the hero's moping, um, you know, all the leads in the case have gone cold. And then uh, well, the character, like Will Smith in iRobot, goes, breadcrumbs. Well, yeah, there's something that he's seen before, and... It, it, the penny drops. Someone just makes a throwaway comment and the penny drops for them and it unravels everything to solve that clue. Which then puts you into the next um, step, which is seizing the sword. So the hero seizing the sword, tackling the EMA, getting their just reward, getting their 2-1, because they're, you know, they're not like a first level. They're 2-1, they're 2-1 <laughs> level. You know. Is that a sword? <laughs> <laughs> I was happy with that too, but a lot of my friends got first and I was very jealous. So, and then they seize the sword Hmm. And then rode back. They're returning back to their normal lives. The rest of the qualifications, what they've learned. Resurrection. Ha ha! New person. They're brilliant. Return with elixir. Done. There you go. I fundamentally, <laughs> they've changed as a person because that's where apparently the deep learning is. You sort of you've learned, you've adapted, you've gained confidence, and now you feel able to take other things on. You can tell I was listening to one of your previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that. Okay. Well, the, well, that's one of the things. That's the whole situative thing and about the changing of. Um, people's identity when i was at learning design we did a workshop on all of this sort of stuff that chris is talking about and the way that narrative can help with um, creating course content and learning design and i i thought yes i can see that but that's kind of chris's thing but what i was looking at was coming from that point of view of that thing about changing identity and about the the, the learners are always altered by their experience and that's that was mine doing you know courses and stuff was I felt completely unprepared for the fact that now I was different than I'd been before. And I was thinking maybe we could look at this whole hero's journey thing, yeah, in creating course content, but actually in providing some sort of framework for students to reflect on their own experiences. So be upfront about the fact that we're talking about the hero's journey now with the students, but saying those steps about finding your find the call to adventure, what are you getting out of this, why are you doing this? You know the fact that meeting with the mentor is like that. Is it is it like that step when you know Frodo meets Gandalf and uh, Obi Wan's or is it fa failing? But reflecting on those steps and the crossing the th first threshold, going into the discussion board of the classroom for the first time, and all the oh, ordeals and all so, that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, giving it giving it to students as a way to contextualize their own experiences, kind of, their own experience. Yeah, and particularly that step at the end, and that's where I came from with that was that that whole journey back to you know you finish it off and you think well you know all those things i wanted to do it for in the first place they might not apply anymore because i have different ambitions or now i can't talk to my parents about this because every time i use more than five syllable words because this is what i've learned to use they just think you know look at him tough coming back from university and suddenly you're no longer part of that world that you cannot completely return to the world you were in and i think one of the things that excites me about the hero's journey and as a student's journey is that it's all it would be interesting to give students the the lens to view their own experiences and make sense of them because they can often feel quite set adrift by them and that would be interesting for me and it would be exploring those feelings and we should as educators be preparing them for you know what mark 
uh, who's appeared on other podcasts, has referred to as the post-course consciousness. It's like, let's prepare our students for that by talking about the journey back and the resurrection and the and the, the final stage, whatever that was. And I think that that's what I take from what Chris has been working with. And I think that's that'd be that's something I'm hoping to do as a workshop at some point. What do you think? It chimed with my uni experience in that I went, as I did, um, animation for three years. Um, lived in a house you know, with the guys I was working with and we were like best friends. And we had the most random, surreal sense of humor. And by the end, when I came back... The amount of people who could understand my sense of humour was just <laughs> <laughs> barely a handful. <laughs> it was really dispiriting. It's like, yeah, animation's great, and there's um, and your references, your cultural references, are all different as well, and you just cannot do it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think so. that's that's that that receiving of wounds and all that sort of thing is an interesting context at looking at what we'll go through with this sort of stuff and it isn't a thing that we actually address i don't think with our learners that's really interesting so it's kind of it's a, a tool you could use in fact we're, i mean we're definitely we're well into part three now anybody who's not we, 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 we're, we, we, <laughs> okay we've we've transitioned seamlessly into act three of this uh, this podcast oh that's not good because uh, you need to signal those things don't you if you're going to make it an effective yeah oh no um what needs to happen oh I, you can't hear but i've actually been running back to my microphone this entire time um in a car chase <laughs> okay if this was a fast and furious movie that would fly um, and you've suddenly just learnt the thing that enables you to bring that action sequence to a oh a yeah conclusion. Exactly. it's the oh, problem key thing which of, does which yeah <laughs> it's the it problem key thing of the of you know the three different climaxes and, and uh, yeah okay there we go Sorry, so I'm that was the point but that was the point of revelation for me and that was a, a that was a, 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 a oh god i climaxed no in that workshop <laughs> Okay. No, I mean, I came to that moment. Well, thanks so much for listening. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Um, but, but revelation was that that I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. This is interesting. And then there's that aha moment that, like, you know, my own journey through this. And I thought, oh, that's how I might want to use this to resolve that issue that I've seen with learners in the past. Um, so there we go. I don't know. That was that was. Good well, for I, me I, anyway. I think I'm, I'm seeing it as a kind of a, a dual-ended tool, which is possibly also slightly suspicious, but um, that you use to consider the experience of a student going through your module and perhaps to, you know, inform how you might structure a module, or at least inform your empathy for a student going through it. Yeah. But also something that you give to students as part of the wider metacognitive tool set to, you know, understand and reflect on their own experiences and understand what they'll be going through. So there's a little bit of transparent pedagogy in there that you're sort of showing you're working and you know, this is how we think this is how we think this is going to work. This is what we expect you to go through as a student. This is this is what's normal for a student to go through. And we're here every step of the way. Here's the help that's for you. Here's the help that's available to you. Yeah. And you're the hero on this journey because you know everyone's a hero in their own way. Everyone's exactly. got villains they must face. You know. Even even if they don't feel like even if they don't like sci-fi or fantasy or anything, it's it's they're still protagonist in a story, whichever story it is, whether it's tragedy, comedy, poorly written soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to add a third level to what you were uh, you, saying. It works on two levels. Oh, yeah. thing, but I think there's another one, which is... Level me thrice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a triple-decker level. Um, mm. It's... Uh, yeah, it's within what's like the media itself and what's written and the way and the tone and the way it's presented. So it's not just about shuffling things in the structure or sort of putting like an extra, not an extra, but, you know, get, catering for the student's experience. There's doing the, the actual where the building blocks of the, the course are. There's also the, the sort of the value you infuse your teaching material with. You know, what's your driving point behind this course? Can you nail it down to one thing? And can that be the thread that goes throughout? And then using storytelling techniques and narrative sort of, uh, it's called positive value changes. Something's positive, then it's negative, positive, negative, all the way through a story because that keeps attention. So that's another level, but probably way too big for one podcast. We've not even touched on things like uh, how people use case studies in teaching and how they're like you know applied stories relevant to the oh god we could go on this forever <laughs> um, listeners at home we have just hit the one hour and 25 minute part of the recording you're not going to be hearing an hour and 25 minutes <laughs> but that's that's how much we have to say on the subject dashed narbit <laughs> there's so much beef to cover 
Is there anything else we want to cover in how you can apply? No, I think we've got a three-edged sword. I think that's possibly as many edges as you'd want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a thrice-edged blade. <laughs> Thus, our brave crew had found the thrice-edged blade, but they hadn't properly articulated what it actually was yet, um, unless you'd been paying really close attention and had worked out the bits they were talking about. But, fretchy not. For the blade secrets are revealed later. And, and what the edges are. What the three edges of the thrice-edged blade are. Adventure! Oh, you bastard. <laughs> That's such a good term. I'm going to like, I'm gonna have to leave the lead into that in now so that makes sense in context. That's such a good <laughs> thrice-edged blade. Oh, golly. Okay, so we've talked about how you can apply this to uh, your own teaching and how you might uh, use it to structure teaching, inform teaching, and, and contextualize it with students, contextualize students' own journeys. Is, is, is. Metacognitive oh. tool set, do you use the phrase, that phrase? Did I? Yes. That doesn't sound like me. No, sure I know. I that's what I thought. That's why it stuck in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that's a. That's a $10 word, if ever I heard one. That's definitely going into my metacognitive tool set. But that's brilliant. That's exactly what it is. It's We need students to be able to think about their learning and think about their experience. And this is where we lose students is because they can't cope. But if they realize that not being able to cope at that point is part of the challenge and part of the process, and everybody else is going through it, and not only that, everybody's gone through it since Gilgamesh, you know, then <laughs> then, uh, then, hopefully that will actually reassure them to some extent. Let's return to our question, which we, we talked about what feels like days ago now. Okay, uh, now my... you get to the bit where you return with the elixir, <laughs> isn't it? This is what you're doing. Okay, so I'm returning, <laughs> yes. to... returning to the oh, ordinary good. world with the elixir that you brought back from this labyrinth of a podcast <laughs> recording. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, we've really missed a trick. Why didn't we structure the episode in acts? Oh, I might do it in the edit somehow. Act three. And so, exhausted, they return to the question. But now, armed with the thrice-edged blade, can they answer it? The beast stares them down, and they begin. Why is a Mickey Mouse degree actually the best kind of degree you could experience? Gentlemen, if you can, if you answer that in 120 words or less, yeah, it, it, uh, Mickey Mouse degree is the best thing to have because actually, if we're thinking about that whole Disney approach to hero's journey, if we enable our students to see the student journey as a heroic journey, then it will hopefully provide some context for what their experiences are for. Um, maybe encouraging some more resilience during the trickiest bits, because I think at the moment those are the things that we don't adequately support on the whole because we just present content and then let them get on with it rather than helping them analyse their experiences as they're going through it and preparing them for the world at the end of it as well, which is something else we don't do. Emphatic nodding. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best sort of degrees because it doesn't matter on the subject if you've used the universal language of design and the way we all primarily communicate and you know how they work and you can implement those points as tools, everyone wins. Two fantastically pithy roundups. My goodness, that was they were superb. They are possibly some of the tightest answers we've had to questions in episodes yet. Okay, I think we've okay, we've categorically answered our question. Let's just chuck in a couple of principles that you can uh, you can carry forwards into your own uh, your own learning, teaching, uh, and design stuff. Uh, one of the big ones actually that jumped out at me early was structure. So actually, even just thinking about structure, any kind of structure, it could be a three act structure, it could be the hero's journey, a variation upon that, it could be about how you're structuring your learning. And if you're thinking about structure, you're already moving in the right direction. It's when you don't think about structure that you get a mess. But also, once you're familiar with structure and those kind of those design those rules and design rules, you got to know the rules to break the rules. In order to kind of subvert expectations uh, and work around things, you do really need to kind of understand uh, the fundamental bits at play. Stories are communication that's like not didactic. Uh, it's best presented when you're eavesdropping or absorbing uh, passively. It's a much more powerful tool than spoon feeding someone. Uh, Chris, you made uh, a lovely point on uh, the message of um, the film. Uh, what was it? Sur uh, surveillance? Oh, oh, Enemy of the State. That, Enemy of the that State. Deep classic. And communicating a message without communicating a message, so showing uh, and not necessarily just always telling. 
giving students the idea of the post-course consciousness uh, and the general tools to contextualize their own learning in a wider narrative of their lives and the module and the course as part of their wider metacognitive tool set, apparently. Something I <laughs> and prepare them for the world ahead, the world and the life ahead of them once they've finished, be it the course, the module, or the recording of their podcast. Um, does anybody have anything else they want to throw into these these tips? Thrice-edged blade. So we're looking to apply some of these principles to your own uh, teaching and learning. Think of nothing more than what we have brought forward from our own three-act structure, our own hero's journey uh, throughout this podcast episode um, of the three-edged blade, where the first edge is the structure of the learning and understanding of the story structures that are known to work, where the second edge of the blade is the student contextualizing their own study journey and seeing themselves as the hero within it, and the third blade is using storytelling principles throughout the media within the media you're actually using. And the blade's name is... The Thrice-Edged Blade. The Thrice-Edged Blade. <laughs> the mighty poker of Gilgamesh. The useless sword. <laughs> right, unless anybody's got anything else they want to add in, I'm going to wrap the show up. No, that's fine. Just if you're going to use this Thrice-Edged Blade, thrice -edged blade be careful because you might get yourself... <laughs> don't run with it <laughs> hold it the right way up <laughs> yeah hold it by the right end so thanks very much for listening you can subscribe to us on all of your favourite apps feeds iTunes and at our website www.pedagodzilla.com you can also get in touch with us via Twitter I'm at Pedagodzilla Mark I'm at Mark Childs and Chris? I'm not on Twitter, but I do have a website, mrchriscox.com. And it's the details of your book on there as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. So check out that site. It's got some of Chris's awesome illustrations and links to his fabulous children's book. Fans, thank you very much to everybody who's been listening to the podcast and especially to the people who've been sharing it um, out amongst the wider uh, EdTech community. It's been really lovely to see that going out recently. Um, and that people have been digging the podcast and yeah if you have anything you would like us to cover in a future episode uh, do please get in touch or if you've got a bee in your bonnet with a particular pedagogical what's it uh, then yeah get in touch maybe we could uh, do a podcast about this one a bit shorter right catch you later bye 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 <laughs> and now the three heroes return to the ordinary world